Joy is a lot like a container of warm, delicious tea. And if there is a crack in that mug, right, or in that teacup, a little itty bitty fracture, it doesn't matter how much warm, delicious, nourishing tea we keep pouring back in because it's just going to be slowly leaking out from the bottom, right? All that we're doing to try to keep ourselves afloat will be accidentally draining out of the bottom of our glass, despite our good work or the good intentions we have. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Bain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hey there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. And whether you've been here for a bunch of episodes or you are just tuning in for the first time, I operate from a belief that we show up exactly when we're supposed to hear something important. So if your ears were ringing recently, well, that might have been me. (laughs) Let me apologize for that. Because this morning, in preparation for recording this month's culmination episode on our month-long exploration of joy as a professional practice, especially during this time, where it's been easy to feel a lot of things that might not be exactly joy, well, I broke my own rules. Instead of sitting at my desk, I took you outside. I sat in the sun with my skirt hiked up. Nobody could see me so that I could feel the warmth on my skin. And I put on my favorite music and I practiced joy while I was typing out my notes. And let me tell you, when I started this thread of conversation with you at the beginning of this month around joy, locating joy within my own days felt miles away from me. Maybe for you too. I really did take me four episodes over these four weeks of researching joy, thinking about it, talking about other people, and actively cultivating small practices to start to bolster my joy, all to arrive in this moment this morning where I felt a genuine sense of contentment and that everything is going well, that I could actually say first thing in the morning that today was going to be a great day, (laughs) as I've noticed. For myself, perhaps in response to COVID or all the challenges we've navigated in the last year and a half, that I have this fear of jinxing things, right? It's like, I don't want to get too excited because I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's a common human characteristic, but it doesn't bolster our best work in the world. And so I'm reminded of how some of the important emotions that do bolster our better work or careers or health or relationship Emotions like joy or hope or optimism, they just don't always happen by accident. And we've got to do better than cross our fingers and hope that we get them. These are practice verbs, optimism, joy, hope, a sense of possibility. These are things that we do through experience and we are charged with cultivating Things that help us lean into these positive sensations in small pockets of time. So, you know me, if you've ever listened to an episode before, 
I have so much more research, so many more articles and real life stories of how women are practically cultivating joy right now that I want to share with you. But you know what? When I was sitting in the sun and really speaking from my heart as I was typing out my notes here, I knew that the right thing to do today was to not give you tons more. Because for this recovering perfectionist, and maybe you too, there's always more (laughs) to do, right? There's always something more I want to learn or share or include. But that quest to always be doing more can be exactly what robs us of being able to notice and appreciate what is already working well in the present moment. In fact, this reminds me of an old story. Tell me if you've heard this one about a man who had a small fishing boat and he would go out every morning for the day's catch and he'd be out for a few hours and he'd fill his net with fish and he'd come in and he'd set aside some to feed his family and the rest he would sell in the market. And then by noon, he'd be done for the day. He'd grill with his family on the beach. They lived a very simple life, but they got to enjoy their meals together. They laugh, they played, they slept well at night. And one day a businessman was walking down the the shoreline of the ocean and he saw this fisherman and he said, hey, you know, you're pretty good at catching fish. If I loaned you some money, you could buy a bigger boat and you could catch even more fish and you could sell more and make more money. And then you could have great time, you know, after a few years of that to enjoy with your family. And the fisherman said, but yeah, I've already got that now. I get to enjoy time with my family every day. The businessman said, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Once you have one boat, then you could hire other captains and you could have an entire fleet of boats with the money you're making. And you'll be pulling in all sorts of fish and you'll become the main supplier. And probably or 20 or 30 years from now, you'll be able to retire and you won't have to work at all anymore. And then you can really spend time with your family. And again, the fisherman said, but sir, I get time with my family every day right now. And so what I love about this story and the reason it ties into this episode is, sure, we could do more, but we have already done so much, both in this month here on Messy Magnificent as we talked about joy, but I bet for you too, in the last couple of years, as people talk about going back to work, (laughs) there's a good chance you have been working this entire time perhaps in a totally different format, perhaps not in the regular employment that you're used to, but you have certainly had plenty to navigate. And one practice that has kept my business profitable and prosperous is that when everyone else is going big and faster, we continue to build in pauses to go deeper and intentional. And by intentional, I mean asking questions about why we're doing what we're doing. (laughs) What is it that we value? And what's the most direct line to what those values might be? For example, with this fisherman, what he valued was having most of the day with his family, and he got that by keeping his business small and simple. And so speaking of questions that are powerful to consider, James Lancaster wrote in The New Yorker, quote, perhaps the American and European way of living isn't the pinnacle of human existence. Humanity hasn't been marching in a linear fashion towards some promised land. Perhaps Western society isn't some magical state in which technology frees us from the shackles of requiring basic needs and allows us to maximize leisure and pleasure. Instead, maybe, modernization has done just the opposite. 
Maybe the most leisurely days of humanity are behind us, way, way behind us. Did our hunter-gatherers have it better off? Is it possible that we're just kind of flattering ourselves by believing that their existence was so grim and that our modern civilized one is by comparison so great? End quote. So what I appreciate about this way of asking some really tough but important questions of daring to culminate is figuring out for each of us, what is the right amount of work for me? What is the style that allows me to cultivate the joy that's required to stick with what I care about for the long haul and still allows me to make some progress? So here's what we're going to cover today. On this episode, as we go a little deeper, as we pause together and culminate on the richness before us with some clips from the past month, number one, you're going to hear us talk about the difference between joy and happiness. They are not the same thing, and joy is possible even in the toughest of moments. In fact, that might be where it's the most important. Then we're going to talk about the connection between joy and confidence for women. So if you're ever feeling like you doubt yourself a lot or you go round and round with the same ideas but don't know how to know when it's time to follow through on something, that's a really good topic for you. And then we're going to talk about cultivating workplace joy with three specific ways that you can bring in a little bit more joy into your life and your work. Very practical, very pragmatic, very doable. Now, It wouldn't be enough to just talk about joy without talking about the ways we accidentally sabotage it. So we're going to cover in this episode how your joy could accidentally be seeping through the cracks and plug up some of those holes so that you understand the relationship between feeling the tough emotions like languishing or even sorrow and grief right now and how those are both appropriate and they expand our capacity to feel joy. And then, of course, we're going to share some universal harbingers of joy that'll make you smile right here on the spot. And last, but certainly not least, you're going to get to hear some real stories from Jennifer Madrid, an L.A.-based business owner. She talks about how listening to her body talk is what allowed her from depleting and sacrificing herself at work to finding a new way of being in a career that lets her needs be met. Now, what you should know here is that there are links to each episode that I'm going to mention right here in the show notes, wherever you're tuning in. So if you hear something that really sparks an interesting thought for you, just know that in the show notes or wherever you can get your podcast, you can hear the entire conversation for free. But here's what I want you to do. Pay attention, keep an ear open for one, maybe two ideas, that'll be plenty, that land really well with you. These are ideas that spark something in your heart or your mind. It might be a a phrase, a full sentence, an entire concept, something like that might feel like how it felt for me when I was sitting out in the sun this morning. Listen for what sticks with you, and there's going to be a chance for you to share your thoughts with me at the end of this episode, just like the woman you're about to hear did recently. So today, I get to give a really special shout out to Erin Chacon. Erin writes our show notes and some of the copy for our episode and also recently has begun to help me with the mountain of research (laughs) that I love to do as we prepare for each episode. And if you haven't read her notes, my goodness, they are pure gold. They come along with every episode. Check them out sometime. 
Well, Erin is in the middle of a big transition, and she sent us this audio clip after hearing a recent episode about the small ways that we can genuinely network without having to do all the big or complicated networking events, without having to talk to everybody, how to discern who the right person is to support you and vice versa right now. Here's what Aaron had to say. Hi, Carly. Just wanted to send you a quick message and thank you for the messaging around networking. Um, I think it was episode 82. I have recently moved to Italy and I'm doing my best to learn the language, but it's always nice to have, I think, an English speaking network when you're living abroad uh, as well. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in our local organic uh, food store and a woman who was checking out heard me speaking English and came up to me and we started chatting and exchanged numbers. And I didn't hear from her for a while. And then she kind of randomly sent me a message saying that she was down having coffee in the village with a few other English speaking people. And I had a super busy day that day. I had a pile of work. Really was not the best time for me to take a break. But I had your networking episode super fresh in my mind. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to make time for this. If I have to push everything aside, this feels important. And so that's what I did. I put on uh, shoes and I ran down to town and uh, had a coffee with these amazing women and ended up making a really great connection with another American. And she and her husband have actually become great friends of ours in the last couple of weeks. And it's sort of opened up this um, English speaking network of people to go have a glass of wine with and go to dinner with. And it's just been a really nice shift in the people that we have gotten to know around here. So yeah, it feels like life is really kind of coming together. And that was just a really nice moment to have. So thank you so much for that. Aaron, oh my goodness, the courage it takes to move to a new country. I have been there. I hope you're continuing to be kind to yourself. One thing that I really appreciate about what you shared here is that in the moment where you were invited to hang out with somebody new, your initial internal reaction was something like, oh my goodness, I don't have time to go out with these people right now. And I know that feeling for sure. And yet you paused for a moment before responding. And in that pause, you realized the idea of being with them for a little bit was actually really energizing and it felt good. And you listened to that information within yourself and it paid off. This is very much in keeping with today's theme in this episode, because it's so deeply ingrained in us that being busy or doing more work is the way to go. But that's not always the case. And practicing how you can uniquely discern when it's time to do traditional work and when it's time to connect with others or with your joy, that's a really powerful tool that can open doors. So thank you for modeling what that looks like, Erin. And Side note, I'm really happy for these new people in Italy that are getting to know you and your husband. You are a gift to our world. You certainly make messy and magnificent possible. Thank you for sharing your light with the new circle. They are fortunate to have you too. Now, if you're listening, I would love to share your voice on an upcoming episode too. So I encourage you to do one of two things you pick. Either head on over to iTunes and leave a review and just type in something that landed from you 
from today's episode or a recent one, and I can read that and give you a shout out. That way helps us in the algorithm so more people see the podcasts which supports women all over the world. Or just email a quick voice memo from your phone, real simple, like Aaron did, to Anitza, that's A-N-I-T-Z-A, at everybodythrive.com. That one doesn't help us in the algorithm, but it gets your voice into our community. And at the end of the day, that is what I care about more. So pick the option that speaks to you. We have links to both of them in the show notes, and I'll get to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode too. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. Okay, so let's dive in here. First things first. On episode 83, we outlined the difference between joy and happiness. We often hear words like happiness, positivity, joy, feeling well, used interchangeably. But they're really different things. A number of years ago, I read The Book of Joy, it's called. And this was written by Douglas Carlton Abrams. And it was based on a series of meetings he had with Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama, two men that have been going through decades of serious challenge and struggle as they seek to protect and motivate their communities, but have also found a way to cultivate joy. And when talking to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama described happiness as something like a butterfly that lands on us. It shows up, we're delighted by it for a moment, and then it flutters away. (laughs) For me, this is a lot like eating a piece of chocolate, right? Like so good in that moment. Or maybe those days where you pull in and you get the perfect parking spot and it just feels really good. This type of satisfaction, this fleeting experience, it's not lasting. That's what happiness is right? Happiness is an emotional response. It's a feeling of one of our senses. It's something that's often triggered by something external, whereas joy, on the other hand, comes from within. Joy is something that is much more lasting. It's much more enduring. It persists. 
even in the most tricky of circumstances. And so when we define joy, the American Psychological Association says there's really two main types of joy. Overall, joy is this feeling, the sensation of extreme gladness and delight or exaltation that arises from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. And the feeling of joy shows up as passive joy, where it involves more tranquility and a feeling of contentment with things just as they are. This is the moment, passive joy, where you don't want to be anywhere else than where you actually are. Again, for me, that's often when I'm biting into a piece of chocolate. Maybe for you, it's a moment watching somebody you love be joyful or excited about something or receive an award. It's the moment that you wouldn't change for anything. So passive joy is about satisfaction. Active joy involves a desire to share one's feelings with others. So this is often about some type of interaction, some type of engagement. So now that we're sharing a vocabulary around what joy really is, one part of that episode that caught some people's ears was the conversation we had about the connection between our level of joy and our level of confidence. So if you're ever thinking, gosh, I wish I didn't second guess myself so much or always doubt what I'm thinking or feeling, check this part out. Both forms of joy, whether passive, where we're in a more tranquil space and we're feeling contentment, or active, where we're passionately engaged with somebody else, they both lead to an increase in energy and a feeling of confidence and self-esteem. Did you hear that last part? I want to really highlight that because I can't tell you how often women say to me, Carly, I wish I didn't doubt myself as much. I wish I felt more confident. I wish I could follow through on things. And I just want to underline that there is a connection to how much joy we are cultivating for ourselves and how much confidence and self-esteem we are feeling. And where there's a lack of confidence, we should look out for a lack of joy because that is something we can correct here. So why should we care about joy? In addition to the fact that it feels good, which frankly is enough of a reason, I thought Sophie Cliff, who's a coach and positive psychologist over in the UK, said it really well when she said, quote, the biggest thing standing in the way of our most joyful lives is ourselves. In a world that is filled with so many terrible injustices, Deciding to prioritize our own joy can sometimes feel a little bit selfish. We can convince ourselves that it's not that important in the grand scheme of things, end quote. Isn't that relatable? How often do we think, ooh, I just want to dance for a moment to this song, or I just want to do this other thing before I quick send my emails, and we say, no, 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 no. Buckle down, stay focused, get the work done. Well, let's talk about that. (laughs) Let's talk about why joy really matters. Number one, it's good for our health. And as we talk about here a lot on Messy and Magnificent, there is no career without your health, right? All of us know how difficult, if not downright impossible it is to get work done when we're not feeling so hot. And in 2017, Natalia Martin-Maria and her research team revealed a study that showed a direct link between happiness and a decrease of mortality. In other words, what they found was that people who report feeling a stronger sense of well-being and of joy are less likely to die compared to those who do not. 
So the research didn't establish an exact cause and effect relationship, but it provided a solid evidence that there is a connection between how long we live and the amount of joy we experience. So number one, right out of the gate, joy is important because it's relevant to our health and longevity, and we can do better work when we're feeling healthier, of course. Now, the second one here is really important. Joy precedes success. It's important to note that success is subjective and that it's fleeting. We've also seen plenty of research indicate that the initial hit of joy we have at reaching a goal will only last for as long as six months. And that's on the long end of things. That's with a very serious milestone. Like you make partner in your law firm or you finally get to buy your first home or you get married or you finally divorce somebody. In those moments of extreme relief or excitement or joy, we notice that the effects last for as long as six months, oftentimes a lot shorter. And so we've been conditioned to believe that success makes us happy, but it's actually the other way around. Now, talking about joy in the abstract is a great place to start. This gives us a shared language and foundation. But if you know me, you know I like things to be practical, doable, and actionable. So let's shift our focus a little bit here to talk about how women are cultivating joy in their careers and workplaces right now and three specific and straightforward ideas for you to give a whirl if you're ready to see a little up-level in your sense of optimism, hope, courage, confidence, or possibility. We care about joy because it's good for our health. And good health means a better career. We care about our joy because it precedes success, specifically because it allows our brain to perform better. So let's talk a little bit about what joy can look like in our work days. Places that cultivate more harmonious relationships tend to do a little bit better. So here's a great example of this. Most businesses, at least traditionally speaking, would save their corner offices or the offices with a good view with some good sunlight for the more high-ranking employees. But if we look at a company like Kickstarter, for example, Kickstarter set up the design of their headquarters in such a way that there was a main sunny atrium in the middle and that everybody's desks were built around that. So all of the employees, regardless of level, had the opportunity to have some good, fresh sunlight. They could see green things growing and they would get good light on their desks, natural light. And we know that studies show that workers with sunnier desks are more physically active than workers in dimmer spaces. They sleep better at night and they tend to report feeling happier. They feel better. And so this is a great example of building a harmonious office space where light was accessible for everybody. It wasn't just reserved for the select few. And you can see how this also sends a message to the employees within this company that the well-being of everybody matters to the organization as a whole. Now, impact is the other thing that cultivates joy in our workplace. When I say impact, what I mean is the ability to see the results of the work you have done together. We see that people who cultivate this type of celebration of impact do really well together. For example, folks who invite other coworkers out to lunch or organize office activities are more 
then 10 times more likely to be engaged at work than those who keep to themselves. And they're 40% more likely to get a promotion, (laughs) right? So impact and our ability to celebrate it together goes a long way. And related to that, the final thing that has been shown to cultivate joy in the workplace is acknowledgement. Recognizing people when they do something well. So that's looking at things on kind of a macro level, but let's talk specifics and pragmatics here. Here are four specific things you could try right now to put joy on the table in the pursuit of your success. Number one thing that we can do to cultivate joy as a professional asset, it's to circle up. And when I say circle up, I mean foster meaningful connections with those in your circle that help to up the level of joy you're feeling. So for many of us, myself included, when things are sticky or tricky, there can be a tendency to retreat within ourselves. When times get tough, we actually see the most successful people will make time for their friends, for their peers, and their family members, because that is what has been shown to bolster our ability to move through challenging circumstances. Number two thing we can do to cultivate joy as a professional asset is to practice presence. There was a study done a few years ago by Harvard psychologists that showed that we spend about 47% of our waking hours thinking about what isn't going on, (laughs) meaning thinking about what's not happening here in the present moment. And this typically makes us unhappy. So when we're ruminating over all the ways we wish we said or did something differently, or we're planning for the 40 things we wish we were better at, we're often decreasing our sense of joy, which as we spoke about earlier, also deflates our sense of self-esteem and confidence in our decision-making. So the solution here is to begin to fan the flames of our focus onto what is happening in this very moment. The third way that we can cultivate joy is to begin to leverage our soft strengths. What I mean are Looking at things like your empathy, your listening skills, your ability to connect with others, these are skill sets that are increasingly in demand and becoming even more valuable as we're looking for people who are able to do more creative problem solving in the world and within our companies. As we're looking for the folks who can find solutions, we're looking for the folks who have the scoff skills to create the types of interactions that lead to more folks being at the table, being inspired, and being ready to contribute. So if you haven't seen your ability to be empathetic as a professional skill before, now is the time for that. So on episode 83, we got our bearings around joy. But frankly, I would be remiss to talk about joy and not talk about the ways we accidentally sabotage it or the other emotions that might be on our plates right now too. I mean, all the good in the world doesn't matter if we or something else keeps getting in the way of it, right? Or if we don't know how to spot it and appreciate it when it comes along because we're too busy, then we could easily miss it and miss out on an opportunity to capitalize on the powers of feeling good. So on episode 84, which was called Feeling a Lack of Zest for Your Work, what's sabotaging your professional mojo and what you can do about it. We shared one way that I see how women's joy can be hard to sustain and the connection between our ability to feel tricky emotions 
like languishing, grief, sorrow, anger, jealousy, and our ability to experience the pleasant emotions and experiences we crave too. Joy is a lot like a container of warm, delicious tea. And if there is a crack in that mug, right, or in that teacup, a little itty bitty fracture, it doesn't matter how much warm, delicious, nourishing tea we keep pouring back in because it's just going to be slowly leaking out from the bottom, right? All that that we're doing to try to keep ourselves afloat will be accidentally draining out of the bottom of our glass, despite our good work or the good intentions we have. If you're noticing (laughs) that you haven't quite set up your camp in joy lately, if languishing or sorrow or grief or struggle have been consistent in your days, I want you to just notice what happens as we give voice to that right? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not giving any medical advice. Of course, if you've got proper depression or suspect you have any symptom like that, that's a place to talk to a medical professional. Today, we're just going to talk for a brief moment here about whether or not we let the sorrow or the languishing or the challenges we're facing be seen and be acknowledged. I think a lot about Cahil Gibran, actually, who was a Lebanese-American writer and poet and artist, he wrote this powerful short phrase in one of his works on joy and sorrow. He said, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And what Cahil Gibran was saying there is that our capacity to feel joy increases as our capacity to feel sorrow or other challenging states expands. My goodness, I wish somebody was there to tell me that when my former fiance, Adam, passed away. We talked about that on one of our first episodes, actually. But one really fascinating thing that happened during that time where I was really rocked to my core. I didn't know how I could possibly show up for my business, for my clients, for the people whose livelihood I was responsible for supporting when I was in such deep suffering. But one very interesting thing I found during that time that I didn't understand logically it made no sense to me in the moment, was that in that moment of deep suffering, it felt like somebody had gotten out a highlighter and was highlighting all of the emotions of my days. Sorrow felt so sorrowful. But when somebody did something kind, it felt extremely kind. Or when something was funny, it was just like belly laughter funny. Or when something made me feel uncomfortable, it was deeply (laughs) uncomfortable. What was cracking me open to feel so much grief was also allowing me to feel all the other things too. Our capacity to feel joy seems to expand at the pace that we give ourselves capacity to notice other sensations too. We cannot turn off one emotion. For example, the emotions that are sticky or tricky or difficult with also turning off our ability to feel the emotions we really do appreciate and enjoy. So we're going to talk specifically about a few things that have been found statistically to be universally joyful. These are items that seem to spark joy for people across lines of gender or ethnicity or other demographics. And this research comes to us from a woman named Ingrid Fatale Lee, who did a great TED Talk on where joy hides and how to find it. There's a link to that in the show notes, or you can just Google that too. But as she was studying joy, 
she noticed that there were some very specific, tangible items that were just universally effective in reconnecting us to this great sensation. They were things like cherry blossoms, or bubbles, or swimming pools. People lit up when they talked about tree houses, or hot air balloons, or this one really speaks to me for some reason, those little plastic googly eyes. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, like, as I, as I just think about googly eyes. Or ice cream cones with sprinkles, or rainbows, or fireworks. And what she said, I'm going to quote here, because it's just so perfect. Ingrid said, The sharply divided, politically polarized world we live in sometimes has the effect of making our differences feel so vast as to be insurmountable. And yet, underneath it all, there's a part of each of us that finds joy in the same things. And although we're often told that these are just passing pleasures, in fact, they're really important because they remind us of the shared humanity we find in our common experience of the physical world, end quote. So as she began to study these interesting things like googly eyes and the cherry blossoms and what is it about sprinkles that lights people up, Ingrid just put a bunch of images printed out of these things where she could see them. And after noticing them for a while, she began to spot patterns. There was commonality in each of these things. She noticed patterns around things being round in shape or having pops of color or sense of abundance or multiplicity or a feeling of lightness and elevation like you might get with balloons. And she noticed how we really do access joy through tangible physical attributes or what designers would call aesthetics. Now, interestingly enough, she points out that the word aesthetic comes from the Greek word asthomi, which means I feel, I sense, I perceive. And this is why it's so important that we dare to pause and feel and sense and perceive. Because it's in these types of moments that we're able to connect a little bit deeper with joy. Now, part of why I love our messy and magnificent podcast community is that it gives us a great space to share real stories of what's working for women, giving us fresh ideas, some practical inspiration, because I don't know about you, but it's really hard sometimes, I find, to do something we've never seen modeled before. It might not even occur to us that it's an idea we could try. So in episode 85, Had Enough of Self-Sacrifice, How Women Are Modernizing the Myths of Success Through Sisterhood and Solidarity, a dear friend and colleague from my days of touring with celebrities as their live-in coach, Jennifer Madriz, she joined us to share what allowed her to reclaim her joy and create a new career model that serves her far better after we both left the entourage lifestyle deeply depleted from our days on the road. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share an example of what that looked like, an example of maybe a moment when you were working hard or a moment when you got clearer that, you know what, like I deserve good things regardless of whether or not, you know, anybody else validates my experience and what that looked like. Like that shift is really powerful. Yeah. You just mentioned something that like I I totally resonate with that. I saw like a huge shift in and that was in something as simple as your body. And I've gotten really good at meditating and like the self-love and affirmations. And I would do do all of these things 
and like still treat my body like crap. Like, and I just mean like eat what I want, like literally live. If you, when I really look at it, kind of live like out of a child. Like, you know, children go to sleep when they want, they eat when they want, they eat what they want. They just do things when they want. (laughs) That's how I was treating my body. You know, I was just, hey, if I go to sleep at three in the morning and I got to be up at seven, hey, whatever, who cares? You know what I mean? Like coffee, I was just, you know, six cups of coffee a day, whatever I needed to get through. And things were still like, actually, like, I I mean, I I saw a lot of self-improvement, like, especially emotionally, mentally, I, I been going to therapy for years and I uh, I, like I recommend therapy to anyone but um it wasn't until I started to actually implement I saw a video on like reparenting and how that can look even just on a physical needs level of you want to be in bed scrolling on your social media for hours before you go to sleep but the parenting in you you know your higher self has to come in and say hey you have to be up really early tomorrow. Like, you know, this is not going to be good for you. So just put your phone down and go to sleep, you know? And I like saw the video and I was like, wow, that's so crazy. That's me. Like, you know, and when I started to implement my physical needs, I started to meet my physical needs from not what I want to do, but what is better for me, eating better, going to sleep earlier, maybe not having, you know, a couple glasses of wine every day at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like these little things, I started to see huge, like I, I felt even more aligned. And I, I came up with a theory or an idea. This, this is how I view it in my head. I believe that when you give your body like what it needs, it's actually thanking you. It's like, thank you so, like that's actually self-love on a different level. It's not the emotional, mental self-love. It's a physical self-love and your body physically responds to it in a way that I didn't really see, foresee because it's my body. Like I, I didn't see it as disconnected. It's just this funny things us humans do where we forget that we have a body. It's like we're running around all day long in the body and we forget that it's there and we're trying to like give it a slice of pizza or a sip of soda, like in between doing all the other tasks forget that this body is the vehicle that's allowing us to do the work. My body gives me information. And sometimes it's as simple as when I'm going to schedule something in my calendar and I feel I'm not in my stomach as I'm doing it. And I can ignore that knot, you know, and schedule anyway, or I can listen and go, wait, why are you feeling a knot? Are you overscheduled that day? Or are you saying yes to something you don't actually want to do? Or, you know, does this need to be a different time or a no? Like there's those little whispers of information. And then we often talk about how, those whispers will mount. The body's giving us information. It's actually there as a guidance system. If we don't listen at some point, it gets louder. It becomes a migraine or it becomes a health issue or it becomes burnout or or whatever it is. And so I just really appreciate that you articulated so clearly that the path for you was to just, just listen to your body a little bit. When I started to pay attention to my body in, the, in those ways, it gives you so much more information. And I think another thing too, that I would say it all kind of, it goes hand in hand. And it's like one thing that you mentioned is the quietness. You've known me for years. You've seen me pretty much go through like my 20, my early twenties into like now I'm 32. So I remember like even meditation was like this thing that was like, just not my thing. I'm like being quiet with your mind. I, I, 
I used to feel very unnatural for one, especially when you're first starting. Yeah. And then two, like it just, I didn't see the direct correlation or benefit of like why this would actually be helping. And now I would say I meditate and I, I, I mean, it's a resource that is like one of the strongest tools in my toolbox. I try to do it daily. Definitely like when I'm going through a lot of like pressure, but where I think for me that like that it really shifted and it changed was the idea that like our bodies literally, they have like universal intelligence. Like, I mean, there's like cells, like millions and billions of like cells pumping through your body, doing all, you know, all of these um, chemicals that are being released on like every emotion. It keeps your heart going, keeps your brain and you don't have to think about it. Like it's your body just doing it. And so sometimes when you quiet into that central intelligence of like that universal intelligence, quieting the mind is really just like tapping and going inward and kind of feeling into that. And I think for a lot of women, that's, you know, why something like meditation doesn't work, at least initially, just because when it's the moment we get quiet, when we finally start to still all the things that have been below the surface begin to bubble up and it can be really active. And we could feel, a lot of us feel anxiety, we feel tension, we feel stress, we feel really uncomfortable in that, in that moment. And so I have so much appreciation for the different forms like of meditation. To me, meditation is just about being present, right? So for some people, they're meditating when they're on the dance floor at the club. For some people, they are meditating when they're rock climbing or when they're knitting or when they're playing with their grandbabies. Like they are in that moment. Like that is the gateway. So tell me, from this entire month-long conversation about joy that we've distilled down into this one episode, what is one idea that's standing out to you? Maybe it's something you heard somebody say, or maybe... It's something bubbling up within you, a thought you're having. There's a phrase, a word, an idea. I encourage you to not just let that pass from one ear to the next from your day. Instead, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that we can document what you're noticing or simply send a voice memo right now over to Anitza at everybodythrive.com and we will share your thoughts in a new episode soon. I would love to give you a shout out. We really do rise well together. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including what brings 3% more joy into your day. And I'll see you again next week with a brand new episode as we explore how women are leveraging creative ways to get a little more rest as a tool for boosting their careers, health, and relationships. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.